to Church in the Rock. I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. This is my good friend Scott, uh, one of our leaders here, ministry leaders here. Um, if you are new and you'd like to connect with us and get in the loop, I mentioned even receiving emails and things like that, if you head over to the info table after the service, uh, there's a little card for you uh, that you can fill out, and that uh, gets put in our hands and gives us a way to get in touch with you and let you know uh, what opportunities there are here at Church on the Rock uh, for your growth. Uh, but uh, with that aside, uh, if you are here and you're new, uh, maybe you're checking it out, maybe you've been here once or twice, uh, I have some real exciting news. Mm, what is that? Uh, the God of the universe, your creator, uh, your, your Father in heaven has sent his spirit to be here with you mm. right now in this place to speak to you regarding you and your life and your situation, and uh, promises to do so as you open your heart to hear from him. And that's our prayer every week as mm. a staff. We get together and we pray about this time. And so uh, it's our confident expectation that that'll happen as you meet with him. So welcome to you. We're gonna, we're gonna yeah. jump in. We're actually starting into our Easter series this Sunday. So. Nice, I'm excited yeah. about that. Well, let me pray for you. Yeah. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this group of people, Lord, that you've gathered, each one you handpicked and you've put here in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive the message, and I pray that you just would, would speak through Aaron, Lord, that you'd bring to mind all the things that he's prepared, and, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would team with him. Uh, thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Scott. All right, are you guys ready to learn? I hope you are ready to learn, because I am ready to teach. You guys have a good week this week? Did you? Good for you. I had a terrible week. But you know, whatever. It actually started here last Sunday. I don't know if you, do you guys remember when my keyboard quit? I was playing piano and then it just decided to stop. Uh, this is like the backside of ministry that some of you, uh, maybe if you aren't as involved, maybe would miss out on. You might not have noticed, but uh, I was standing there at that keyboard and the power just went out on my keyboard, like it just, it just stopped. And so I was singing, um, I was singing the song, I forget what song it was. Anyways, I was singing a song, you were singing it, we were all singing a song. And I was, I had reached over my keyboard with the music stand here, fiddling with the power button to try to get it to come back on, like to no luck. And uh, the keyboard is a computer, so when it turns on, it takes like a while to boot. And I finally got it to turn on right as the song was ending. I was like, oh, this will work out. Like the song's ending, the keyboard will come back on and I'll be able to play. Drew at that moment realized that I was struggling and that my keyboard had shut off, so he walked up and hit the power button and turned it back off. <laughs> and so now again, I'm fiddling with the power button, trying to get it to come back on. And what m some of you did not realize, I think maybe one of you, two of you caught this, is that I had wedged my music stand against the keyboard and when I went to fiddle, like in between the two, I had unwedged it. And then when I went into the next song, my music stand began to sink. Did anyone notice that last Sunday? A couple of you in the front did. By the end of the last song, it was all the way down. And I could not see my music. 
So I don't know if you were singing when I was singing, but uh, anyways, and then my week got worse from there. So I got strep, which is terrible. Have you guys had strep? Yeah. A couple of you? It's terrible, right? Oh my gosh. It's like having vice grips attached to every joint, a mallet beating on your head with multiple knives stabbing into your esophagus. That's how I describe strep. You're welcome. But I'm fine now. Uh, this is what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're, this is a lead-in to our Palm Sunday Easter series, uh, examining the work of Christ. Uh, I look forward to this time every year. Uh, we, we go through the narrative of the Scripture um, as a habit here at Church on the Rock, which presents plenty of opportunities uh, to unpack the gospel message. Um, but I love taking a few weeks and really just explicitly examining uh, some of the truths that make up the core of what we believe. So uh, this morning is going to be a topical teaching. So I'm not working from a story in Scripture. Um, I'm going to be working off of a couple of passages and uh, addressing some things from a topical standpoint. Um, but my, uh, my actual sermon this morning is very short. It's just a couple of minutes, but I need about 30 minutes to introduce what I want to talk about this morning. So I'm going to do an extended introduction, and then I'll tell you when the sermon is about to start so that you can tune in at about like 1130. Uh, and then what I want to do is just spend a few minutes landing on uh, what is actually my topic this morning, which I'm not going to tell you yet. Oh, you already know. Uh, but we'll get there, and then I want to unpack a couple of things that are central to the gospel. But here's what I want you to know as we jump in. Um, I've been studying this stuff for a while, and it continues to have this incredible transforming effect on my heart and on my life and on my relationships. It's the gospel message. It's the hope of the gospel, the good news of God. And if you are not experiencing that effect, go after it. Commit yourself to become a student of the love of God. Because the love of God is the thing that transforms our lives in every respect. It is the love of God uh, that changes everything for us. So, we're going to look at the gospel message this morning. Um, I have noticed in the last couple of years, uh, in particular, a trend. I, I tend to, uh, I try to read uh, contemporary material um, and I tried to make a point to kind of stay in the loop on keeping up with um, both writers and also cultural commentators who, who hate Christianity, who despise the Christian faith, who, who carry a great animosity for what we believe, um, to hear what they have to say uh, because I find it uh, informative. Um, I find it uh, at times that it will lead me in a direction of study in answering some of the questions that they have raised. But I want to I highlight one argument 
against the Christian faith that I have heard uh, more recently, I've heard it quite frequently, and that is, uh, I cannot... I cannot believe in a God that says, either love me or I will kill you. Love me or die. I can't, I can't fathom any human being that would say or describe that as love. Furthermore, I can't possibly believe in a God that would say, you know, I'm so angry at you that you need to die, but just because I'm, I had a moment of kindness, I'm going to kill my son instead of you. And these sort of statements are made with, 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 with uh, really with great animosity towards the Christian faith. I read this recently online and it's, this is said uh, uh, with sarcasm, with satire, so hear it this way. Accept Jesus into your heart as your personal savior by believing that he was a human sacrifice to appease the wrath of God by bleeding to death. Realize that holy divine justice means that it should have been you that God inspired the Romans to flog, strip naked, and nail to the cross except that it was Jesus instead, that's how much God loves you, then God will not be provoked to wrath by your sin because when he goes to get his revenge on you, he will remember what he did to his son instead. I want to um, address this morning uh, the goodness of God. And I want to give you a more uh, robust uh, argument for the goodness of God. That will be my lead-in uh, to my teaching. It is my uh, belief, it is what I would suggest to you this morning, that a good God has always had good plans for you and I. God's good plan, part one, was this, that he would create mankind, that he would create Adam and Eve, and he would give them a choice. Everything that God made was good. All of creation was good. It was perfectly suited to meet their needs, every need in every way. There was no threat within the creation of God not only was it perfectly suited to meet their needs, but they enjoyed perfect and unobstructed, uninhibited relationship with each other, uncorrupted by sin, and uninhibited, unobstructed, uncorrupted relationship with God. They did their work, they were in relationship, and all of it was perfect. How many of you would like all of your human relationships to be uncorrupted by sin? Hallelujah. But there was nothing given to Adam and Eve so profound as the opportunity for real love to exist between the two of them and between them and God. And for love to exist, there must be a choice. 
For love to exist, there must be an opportunity for the free will to be exercised. If I have no alternative choice, I cannot love because I am, I am confined. I am restricted to a single choice. God says, here is all of the evidence of my goodness. I have made all of this for you. I've given it to you for you to enjoy. And there is a way out of all of this. There is an exit ramp. There is an alternative. Right now, all that you know is my goodness. That is the entirety of your experience. That is the entirety of your knowledge. You have never encountered anything that is, that is at odds with or um, different than my goodness. But there's a tree in the garden. And the tree, I've called it the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat of that tree, you will add to your current knowledge of my goodness the knowledge of evil. However, you need to know something about that tree. Genesis 2.16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat from it you will die. And what God is telling Adam and Eve is that from the very beginning, from day one of creation, God has had an end game for evil in mind. Do you know what God's end game is for evil? To wipe it out, to eradicate it, to get rid of it. So I'm going to give you a window of time, an opportunity to make a choice, and then... I will one day get rid of evil. When you eat of that tree, once you embrace the knowledge of evil, you will die. That is the alternative to the goodness of God and the life that I've given you. Genesis 3.22, then the Lord said, this is after Adam and Eve ate of the tree. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, eat of it and live forever. Says Adam and Eve now have this experiential knowledge of evil. If they ate of the tree of life now, they would carry that knowledge of evil for eternity. And that is not my plan. It has never been my plan that evil would exist for eternity. God in his wisdom, in his goodness, says I will not allow that we should exist forever with the presence of evil. Aren't you ready for evil to be done? If you think just even for a few minutes or a few seconds of, of the cost of sin, the, the loss of life, the brokenness in relationships, the sense of futility, disappointments, all of the things that are subsidiary effects of sin, God in his mercy from day one says, no, I plan to be rid of those things. 
Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Psalms 34, 16, the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Revelations 21, verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. And the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he said this, I want you to write this down, for these words are faithful and true. God says, here's my promise. I'm going to get rid of all of it. I'm going to take sin, all of its effects, and the memory of it, and I'm going to destroy it. I, personally, Aaron Weiser, would be less satisfied with a plan where God said, I'm going to take sin, all of its effects, and the memory of it, and I'm just going to sort of scoot it off to the side for a little bit. I'm going to do my best to sort of quarantine it. We'll keep it around. We'll just try to keep it at bay. No, he says, I'm going to be rid of it completely, gone, all of it, forever. Can I get an amen? God's good plan part two, kill evil. Here's the dilemma. Where shall we find evil to go and kill it? Evil doesn't exist in the abstract. You cannot go far enough into the forest or into the jungle or into outer space to find out where evil lives and grab a hold of it in order to be, to be done with it, to destroy it. Where does evil exist? It's in us. Through our sinful decisions, Sin, evil, all of it, the worst of all of it, has been wrapped into our DNA through our decisions, through our choice. So, the question before the Lord, which of course he answered before eternity passed, how will I destroy evil while ensuring your survival? It's kind of like parenting, you know? I'm going to drive this behavior out of you, and I hope you survive. And here's the solution. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, Jesus, the Son of God, took our sin in his body on the cross. 
Romans 8.3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God put sin and evil once and for all, permanently for all eternity, put them to death in the body of his son. God killed evil through the death of his unkillable son. This is not a punitive act to make God feel better. And that's what oftentimes I hear people reacting against. Wow, God's so angry. He just had to, like, beat someone up. And so he said, well, I'll take my own son and beat the snot out of him. And then, uh, you know, we'll let you off the hook. This is not a punitive act. This is an act of love whereby God once and for all, destroyed sin without destroying sinners. The crushing of the Son of God on the cross was the declaration of God's commitment to eradicate evil and to once again give us the chance to make a free choice. Do I want to be in relationship with Him? Do I want loving relationship with God? And so the only man who could survive it opted to receive upon himself the sin of the whole world. And he is put to death temporarily as a penalty for sin. And yet this raises really a question that's at the heart of this consternation surrounding the death of Jesus and the gospel message. Is vicarious justice really justice? I would love for an opportunity to opt out of paying speeding tickets by sending our pets to prison. Number one, it's cheaper for me. Number two, I get a break from our pets for a while. Is vicarious justice justice? Who, who gets to say that he can take our guilt and we get off the hook? How is that justice? How is it justice to say, I'm angry at these people, so I will beat my son to death so that they can be forgiven? How is that justice? Is vicarious justice justice at all? And this gets to the, really the heart of the mystery of the gospel that is um, ignored in these discussions. There's only one way that what happened to Jesus Christ is justice for you. And that is, when you, by faith, trust in Him, you are made one with Jesus Christ. One. 
Paul says in Colossians 1.27, he says, this is the part of the gospel that even though we had generations and generations of sacrifices that no one saw coming, no one understood it, no one fully grasped it, and that is this, that you would be united with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is not vicarious justice according to the writers of the New Testament. It is justice because Christ and I are one by his will and through my faith. We are one. We've been united. How do I lay a hold of the benefits that Christ secured? Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's good plan, part three, is that he would share his life with us. And the way that he shares his life with us is through union. Galatians 2.20, I taught about on this a while back. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. Past. I have been, meaning it's already took place. I was crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I living. But Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I was there on that cross with Christ because Christ and I are one. And now, in this moment, I am alive because the living Christ and I are one. There is nothing more foundational to your proper understanding of the gospel than to properly understand our union with Jesus Christ. Everything that we claim as benefits results from this truth, that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I have eternal life, the eternal life of God dwelling in me, why? Because I am in Christ. I have been made a co-heir to all of God's abundance. Why? Because I am in Christ. I have been redeemed from slavery to sin. My debt has been paid off. Why? Because I am in Christ. I have been reconciled into the family of God. Because I am in Christ, I have been made a son or a daughter. Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I have been justified and declared righteous. Why? Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Nothing, nothing of the work of Jesus is rendered to those who are not in Christ. We have been brought in eternally to union with the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, so that we could share in all of the blessing and benefit that he has secured. I am in Christ. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to gather here together in the evening and celebrate and worship.
And do you know why we celebrate and worship? Do you know what inspires joy and worship? It's this truth. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Romans 6, 5, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There it is. United in death, united in resurrection. I am in Christ. But now, we find ourselves in the in-between. And this is what I mean. If I have died with Christ and I have been raised with him, then in regards to sin's punishment, sin's penalty, I have died, and yet I'm not done dying. We are living, yet not yet fully alive. That's the in-between. Romans 8.10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So this is what happened. I placed my faith in Jesus. I said, I'm tired of all of this. I don't want this. I want relationship with you. I entrusted myself to him. And when I entrusted myself by faith to him, I was made one with his spirit. My spirit was made alive through Jesus Christ in me. And that is not up for negotiation going forward. I have been made alive in Christ. However, my body is dying. I died with Christ, and yet I'm not yet done dying. I've been made alive with him, and yet I'm not yet fully alive in him. This is the in-between. In between a finished and an ongoing work. The spirit made alive, done deal. The flesh still needs to die and plenty of work is required. And in this in-between, don't you find it so easy to lose track of these truths? Okay, hey, I'm actually early. Are you ready for my message? Here's my message. The good plan of God, part four. Help them remember. How will, how will I assist my new sons and daughters that have been brought into my family, who have been made one with my son, who are in Christ? What will I give them to remember that this walk of faith, once we are united with Christ, is both a finished and a work in progress, a complete work and an incomplete work. What is it that I could provide for them that would show them that these two are simultaneously true? Jesus leaves us two tangible reminders Water and blood. The first reminder, the reminder of water, 
is the reminder that it is a finished work. The first reminder is a burial. What could be more finished than dying? Unless you're Lazarus. Then you do it a couple times. But for the rest of us, he says, I want to give you this this, uh, tangible symbol of the finished work, a burial where you will be buried and then raised from the grave. Romans 6.3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Meaning we were baptized into the death of Jesus Christ so that we will be raised with him. And with baptism, he says, listen, I want you to do this one time. Not every day. This is not a shower. This is an event represented, representing the complete nature of the work of Christ, Christ in you. You have been once and for all united with him in his death and now in his resurrected eternal life. It's done. Can I get another amen? You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Once you're in Christ, guess what? Unfortunately for you, if you're kind of soured on this deal, you're getting full credit for everything that he earned and accomplished in his lifetime. All of it. Because you were buried and raised with him as symbolized through baptism. It's an event. It happens once. If you have not been baptized, dude... It's time to get serious about life. Baptism is a first step of obedience. It's a public declaration that I am now a participant in the finished work of Christ through his death and resurrection. On Easter Sunday in the evening, uh, we're going to gather at Bishop's Beach at 6 p.m. and baptize a few people. If you would like to be baptized, come and talk to us. Uh, You can actually uh, just sign a name and a contact over here, and we'll get in touch with you and talk about baptism. If you have not been baptized, that is what baptism is. It's a one-time event in obedience to Christ, an outward, tangible reminder of the finished work. It's baptism. And because it's spring and it's Kachemak Day, you might feel like you're dying as you go under. (laughs) It's a burial, it's a gravestone, it's an event. And then he offers the second reminder. He says the second reminder is this, it's a meal. What could be more continuous? What could be more every day? What could be possibly be more all the time than eating and drinking? So there's this finished work. I am in Christ, buried, raised with him. And then there's an in-progress work of, of walking towards eternal life, of walking away from evil. 
says, I want this second reminder to be a meal. Every time that you gather together and you take bread and you break it, I want you to remember that that's my body, that when you eat of it, you remember it's Christ in you. And every time you take the cup, I want you to remember that's my life. And every time you drink it, I want you to remember this, Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. And I want you to do this all the time. I want you to do this every time you get together. Not because it's not a finished work, but because there is a finished work and there is a work in progress. There is the finished work which Jesus accomplished. And there is the work in progress of learning to guide my heart and my life uh, into alignment with what is already true through the work of Christ. Since it's a meal, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So both in baptism and in communion, it's a declaration of the death of Jesus. Because for us, it's through his death and through his life and through our union with him that all our hope rests. I've watched Christians trying to respond to this sort of attack against the necessity of Christ's death and, and their response is to sort of uh, move it off to the peripheral and say, well, no, God didn't really need that to happen or necessarily intend that to happen. It just happened, and, but it's kind of an example for us as to how we can suffer too without sinning. And No, 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 no. God's plan from the beginning has been to destroy evil in a way that we could survive. And so he put evil to death in the body of his son, and the only claim that I have to any of those benefits is, if you haven't picked it up yet, Christ in me. That's my hope, Christ in me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. You know what's required to move to that place of Christ in me where I'm given his perfect righteousness, I'm washed clean, I'm brought into his family, I'm made a co-heir of all of his abundance. Do you know what's required? Trusting him by faith. Saying, God, I've done this, I've tried this, and I'm turning. I want relationship with you. And he says, hey, guess what? I've removed every obstacle for you. If you will place your trust in me, just simply come before me and say, God, I am resting myself in you. I will give you my spirit. You will be brought in in that moment to the finished work of Jesus Christ. For we were buried with him we will be raised with him. You can make that decision today. In fact, I would suggest you should. Uh, we're going to go into a time of response now. Actually, I want to read you one more passage from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. 
when this perishable, meaning my dying body, will have put on the imperishable, the body that will not die, this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, hey, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law revealing to us our own sinfulness. But thanks be to God who gives us victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. For us, there is no sting. Because for us, death is union with Christ and the removal of sin. I look forward to that day, don't you? Amen. I'm going to ask our elders, uh, we try to do this the first week of every month, I'm going to ask our elders to take their place over here in our prayer area. Uh, the scripture is uh, repeatedly tells us uh, that if we have some kind of a need, whether it be a physical need, financial need, spiritual, emotional, that we go to our elders and have them lay hands and pray for us. So I'm going to ask them to go over here to the side. Uh, they'll be available there uh, for it, uh, to pray with you during our time of worship. Uh, the rest of you can stand. We do have uh, the bread and the cup available at a few stations around the room uh, to remember together the death of Christ, his body, his blood for us. We also have uh, offering receptacles uh, along the back you can give, and we're going to worship together. Worship the Christ who's made himself available to us. Let's come before him in prayer as we begin in worship. there is so much that you have made available to us. For those who are here who have just not invested in exploring uh, the richness of the potential that is there, walking in union with you, God, give them the determination to go after you. That we would not have lukewarm hearts in response to the gospel. God, that you would, you would revive a flame in us to seek after you. To stand on the finished work of Christ as we look forward to the final work. For those who are here who feel alienated from you by shame, uh, by sin, God, teach us to trust in the sufficiency of your sacrifice. Teach us to rest fully in you, that you would give our hearts rest. We love you. Come before you now to worship you. Jesus' name.
not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free. Amen. Hey, I'm going to have our elders uh, remain here for a little bit. If you have any prayer requests of any kind, they would love to join with you. Uh, Go ahead and seek them out. If you are interested in being baptized, uh, just give us a contact over here at the info table, and then we'll get in touch with you and talk through it with you. Otherwise, we have uh, house churches and senior high and junior high happening tonight. Again, thank you to Kate Morris uh, for jumping in with us this morning. Uh, You guys have a blessed week. You are dismissed. Oh, and we end at 1230.